Hey, what's up? I'm the Zim. This is MFA Chronicles Podcast. Today we're talking with Juan Cabrera. He's a, one of my cohorts at San Diego State University. Just finished his thesis defense, which we talk about a little bit on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into it, I do want to make a few quick announcements. First is, and most important, hope you are doing well. Hope you are safe and well during this pandemic situation we're in right now can't be understated i hope you're safe second is i'm gearing up to do a live version of the podcast uh general podcast i do three podcasts mfa chronicles word on the street and creative mind this will fall more under the banner of creative mind but it's an all-inclusive live stream of everything i do which includes the MFA Chronicles. So if you have a question, concern, comment, idea around this podcast and you want to talk to me about it, submit a question for content for the live stream, I would love it. I'd love it if you did that. So check out, I guess, at underscore the Zim on Instagram would be the best way to get a hold of me. I don't know. There's a lot of ways. Any way you can figure out how to get a hold of me, you can do that and um, submit a question for the live stream. That would be sweet. So the date of the live stream is not defined yet. I am finishing my last semester or this semester of graduate school, and I just don't have the bandwidth to figure all that out yet. But I will probably in about a week from now. What is it, May 3rd? So whatever. So stay tuned, and maybe I'll publish a few more of these podcasts before that time. So I'll announce it at the beginning of the intros as well. So yeah, so sorry for the little vagueness, but it's coming. So hopefully you'll be as excited as I am. If I can get maybe like one person to watch it, I'd be happy. All right. Oh, the next thing is we got our first Patreon supporter, patreon.com slash the Zim. Michael Knapp is our first Patreon supporter. What is Patreon? Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that you can subscribe to any creative that's or person or anything that's on it. I'm making this podcast and many other things. And so Michael Knapp wanted to support it. So you can too you can become my second supporter at patreon.com slash the zim i would love it thanks a lot for that and then the last thing is you can find this podcast at mfachronicles.com but also on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podcast and spotify all right let's get in with talking with juan cabrera hey juan hey zim how are How's you going oh it's, it's all right you're good sorry i'm late no no you're fine your beard looks oh yeah it's getting full yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Looking good. Are you a beard guy? Like, have you been that way? No, not, not normally. It's just because of the quarantine. Like nobody, it's a good opportunity because nobody's seeing me. <laughs> Except on like, you, know, you go through like, you go through like that crappy, like, like bad beard period for like three weeks and then it gets good. Have you done, have you grown out a beard before? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I, my problem like is it, I get like dandruffy, like like my beard gets dandruffy, and I, I haven't really, yeah. I don't know how to deal with that. Like if you're supposed to like do something with it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I think there's like a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to use, but I don't, I don't know any of it. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I don't either. I don't. I just, I, I actually, right before this started, I was looking at my own picture i was like yeah i think it's about time to take it off again <laughs> i'm trying to try to stay somewhat presentable like i i don't know i probably mentioned in one of the classes we had um i cut gave myself a haircut you know i just kind of yeah stood in the I saw that. <laughs> it was like it worked out I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out you know i have to put some product in to make it 
kind of look presentable, but you know, yeah, good. looks fine. I tried <laughs> cutting my hair too. Like I cut like the sides and the back just a little bit, but yeah, there's not much you can do. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we could just jump into it. Uh, we already kind of started about some of the effects of quarantine <laughs> with like gr- <laughs> growing our, growing our hair and cutting it and different things like that. But that's kind of the first question I kind of jump into is just like, how has this whole situation been for you? And and we've been in this, like, basically it's been about 50 days since we've been kind of kicked off campus. And mm-hmm. I, the and when I first started asking the question, I would think more in terms of you're trying to get the story of it, but since of like moving into the situation, but now that we've been in it for a minute, I just, I kind of want to just open it up to the idea of like, has anything changed for you in the last 50 days of how you're processing this whole situation? Um, I think, well, I guess what's changed is like the initial novelty of it is kind of done, right? Like, like, I think everybody is like getting used to it. Like, I definitely feel like I'm getting used to it. Um, and it's no longer, I guess, like scary or unusual. It's just kind of like every day now. And it's a, it's just a weird feeling because you don't know just like how temporary it is. Like how long, how much longer are we going to be in quarantine? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just weird. It's like, is this like what, how it's going to be like all the time? Is this the future or is this temporary? Does that, Um, yeah, does that, so that's where a a good spot of where I'm curious about is like, is the, you know, when are we supposed to feel comfortable and what's the, what is that like comfort looking like? Like, are we going to be, you know, wearing masks now for the next two years, but we're also going to be expected to function as normal, like it was pre-COVID, you know, or I don't know. Have you thought about what that might look like to you? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that's just going to be permanent, at least for like the foreseeable future, right? Like the masks thing. Um I, yeah, I think we're all going to be wearing masks, masks for a while, but uh, the social distancing thing, like we're all going to be very um, careful about, you know, uh, personal space now in, in the public. And I think, I don't know, it, it's weird because like uh, society isn't like built for any of this stuff right like we've had to just kind of like jerry rig everything together like stores and you know like theaters like all of it is built for it for like a society that is socializing constantly and so how the hell are we are is everybody supposed to like maintain social distance now like when we go to the movies if they ever reopen are they going to enforce a role that everybody has to stay like 10 seats apart or like, are they just going to remove seats from the theater? Are there even there? There's going to be like, like lines are going to be totally different too. Right. Like, um, and I guess that'll change like how many people are ever allowed into a single building at a time. It's just going to make like everything a huge hassle. Like the other day I was like, I was like thinking like, I was at a grocery store and I was in line and like, this is like Disneyland, except 
crappy like <laughs> like i'm waiting like to get in line for splash mountain or something but i'm just trying to like, get into the store um yeah i don't know like i can like see some sort of like fantasy sci-fi version of the future where like everything all the architecture and all of our public environments are built around this idea of keeping everybody apart but because it like we're living in like the older society it's all just kind of like been yeah it all feels very like um what's the word uh like improvised and that's interesting it's an interesting place to be in yeah i could see that as well one of the things i I feel like we're at least on like a two-year time frame of adjusting to either a norm of what you're describing or we get some kind of uh, preventative or vaccinate or like some kind of sciency intervention to this whole thing. Like there's a, mm-hmm. some kind of vaccination or something of that nature where we finally figured out, okay, we can treat this. We're not, it's not all about physically distancing. There is some kind of inner science intervention in there, but it's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. Cause it, like I was, what I've been hearing is just that there hasn't been like the human body hasn't, had this virus long enough to discover all the the what do they need to put those like sciencey stuff together i don't even know how to describe it (laughs) yeah (laughs) whatever magic they're gonna use (laughs) but this idea Uh, of like jerry or did you want to say something um no what was i gonna say but no i was just gonna say like yeah that that idea is scary because like i assume that like at some point a vaccine is going to come around and it's going to be safer to go out because if you get sick, you can get vaccinated or something like right now, it's probably not worth the risk. Um, in most cases. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just makes it scary. Like what if a vaccine never comes up? Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> we could, we could probably go. I don't want to go too far down this line of thinking, but it, like that, I'm like that, that I have that personality, worst case scenario personality type of like what, what like what you just mentioned. What if there is no solution in that way, and the it keeps mutating or it keeps this or that or something? What if the reality is we always have to be aware of this of some kind of like life threatening virus in the world yeah. every time we go out? Yeah. Fingers mm-hmm. crossed that's not the reality. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's crazy. You mentioned in this kind of talk that we're mentioning is this jerry rig aspect of things and i like that in in terms of a kind of a segue to what we've had to do as artists and as students uh being you know kicked off campus so like for your practice and for where you are right now in your career as a student slash artist i know you're uh you did you do your thesis uh, defense yet yeah, I just did my defense a few days ago. Okay, well, we'll talk about... Uh, yesterday, Friday. Okay, we'll talk about that some more, but... I forgot, today's Sunday. Yeah, I know, what day is it? Um, well, just the idea of, like, what did you have to do to jerry-rig your practice or jerry-rig your uh, process as a student, you know, having to not be on campus and, and thinking about that? What, what were some of the practical things that you actually did? Yeah, well... Um, I mean, before I went to school, I just worked out of my bedroom. Uh, I'm doing that again. (laughs) Back to that. Um, And 
you know, when we lost our studio, like we barely had like a day to get all our stuff together and get out. So I just had to like, I just had to think like, what are the, what are the, the most necessary things? The things that I use like every day just to at least like finish this body of work that I had planned for my thesis show. So I just gathered up those things really quick and I took them home like in a big plastic crate, but I still left a bunch of stuff behind in my studio. Um, and I was able to work for a while, but I realized that I had left behind like my big ruler and I needed my, like my exacto knives and my cutting mat. So I made an appointment to like go back and get some stuff. And I think apparently you can still do that. Um, but yeah, it feels very weird to be like working out of my bedroom again. Like I've gotten used to in grad school, I got used to having like a big studio space and like, as a result, my work got bigger and my practice expanded. Um, I had lots of space to work in. Now I'm back to, you know, working small or I'm trying to like cram the stuff that I was trying to do, like all the things that I discovered in a bigger studio space into like my tiny bedroom now. And it just doesn't work. I either have to like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's not a good fit anymore. Like I've, I've gotten bigger and I just, I don't, I don't entirely work in this tiny space again. Although like it is fun to like just work small again, like maybe lower my ambitions or just kind of be, it's forced me to like maybe simplify what I do, which is kind of nice. But um, yeah, I really don't feel like a professional artist anymore. Now I just feel like a dude <laughs> painting for fun out of his room. <laughs> Has, you know, aside from this kind of practical, you know, effect of, having to switch studio spaces and being in your bedroom. Is there anything like uh, conceptually that has started to spawn for you with, with that transition and with what's going on in the world in your work? Mm -hmm. Have you started, have you thought of any kind of ways to address your kind of feelings around it or within your work? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess yes and no. Um, I've had little ideas, like I kind of want to do like some kind of portrait series about like social distancing or something. Like portraits are so intimate and now nobody has, intimacy is gone, except like through this digital environment. Um, but my work has always been about solitude and interior space. So in one way, like this is totally fits like what I do already. And like the other thing is like I, as in terms of personality, like I'm an indoor person. I've always been an indoor kid. I have lots of indoor hobbies. I don't go to the beach that much. and I like to hike every once in a while, but I don't like, I do need it. I think, I think we're all discovering like even indoor people that like we need some amount of like physical intimacy with people and to go out every once in a while. Otherwise we do go a little crazy, but um, it hasn't been, Really, like in practical terms, it hasn't been that much of a shift for me. And honestly, like, I've always had problems just socializing, interacting with people anyway, and in weird ways, like through Zoom. And um, it's kind of allowed me to grow a little closer to the people around me, ironically. Like, I've actually, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm calling people on the phone, I'm doing like, zoom chatting and like i'm seeing people face to face which is not like a is not something that i would have broached before with people but now it's like totally fine to like just do video chatting with people it's 
yeah, it's maybe a little more comfortable. Yeah, I, I relate very much to basically everything you just said with being a, <laughs> being an introverted type of person, being okay, being isolated, yet still feeling like there's that moment. I hit it, it hit I hit it like about thirty days into this. I think it was thirty five days into not being around anybody. I was like. I really want to be around somebody like I was cool for a while, but, but then I just like, Oh man, I could use that again. But also, um, yeah, the, the, the kind of that level of meeting and getting to know people, it's kind of an interesting segue and idea I had like, I'm really thankful that we have a class together that the interdisciplinary critique class, because it gave us Mm -hmm. a chance to kind of get to know each other a little bit where I think if, if, possibly we didn't have that class like we might not even have (laughs) had that many reasons to talk which was like i'm really thankful for that that that's happened but it kind of that compounded upon what you just mentioned about this idea of now everything's through a screen and the willingness to reach out that way is like totally opened up for me as well you know so it's yeah it's interesting idea And I'm and I'm glad that we had like those couple of weeks or like a month of like actual of an actual class. Um, who knows like how this class might have felt like if we had just like if the entire thing had been online only. Yeah. Um, but since we had like that bit of time together, like yeah, it's been fine. We've just I think we've all just had to transition. I'm curious. So you're going to be done with school this mm-hmm. this semester essentially. I get to continue on, and I'm feeling like there's a high possibility that classes will start this way next semester um so, yeah so it'll be interesting yeah <laughs> yeah that, that sucks <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned a minute ago about your your style of work i wanted to drop in right here just this kind of like what do you tell people when people ask you like what you do about your artwork what's your basically elevator pitch or so of how you uh, define yourself as an artist yeah I don't know that that term elevator pitch freaks me out. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to like condense what you do and all your thoughts into like a, what a, a conversation is supposed to last like five floors. Like, what? <laughs> good, good That's news. Ridiculous. Good news is we're on a podcast and I hate yeah. the term elevator pitch too, because it, a lot of people like think that they means they can only say two sentences, but being on a podcast, I want we we have to fill this up. <laughs> so, yeah, <I> know. <laughs> so, so talk about your art a little bit. You mentioned you you deal with interior spaces. You I know that you're in the painting and printmaking department. What does that mean to you and your work? Like, just talk about your work a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've always been obsessed with like the um, I guess the aesthetics of space and the built environment. Um, it's just something that I've been like I've been focused on since like i think um i guess since my undergrad when i was trying to figure out like what i wanted to do uh but i guess in a nutshell like i'm a watercolor painter and all my paintings are representational images of um isolated uh architectural indoor interior spaces um so things like the images of waiting rooms and living rooms like uh our houses, um, but not just like intimate domestic spaces, but also public spaces that I feel like are constantly overlooked. Like people don't talk about like 
the appearance of a waiting room or like the interior sense of decoration of like a supermarket or a Costco. Um, what else? Uh, I really, yeah, I just really like like overlooked things like um, wheelchair access ramps and um, like those metal, metal emergency, like fire escapes, like those staircases. Um, a, a lot of it came out of just like uh, dreams that I've had my entire life uh, where I'm wandering through like, like scary architectural spaces, like big, like brutalist environments. Um, I have a lot of houses up, uh, I'm sorry, um, a lot of dreams of, um, of haunted houses where I'm like walking around through a haunted house um, and I'm seeing like creepy, I'm in like a creepy hallway or I'm in this like dark room or like just strange, like just strange like dreams where I like, it'll be like a completely normal house or the house will feel normal, but I'll open a closet and the closet will have just out of nowhere, a spiral staircase in it. And I'll climb the staircase. And at the top, there's an even bigger room with more stairs and more rooms, but it's incredibly surreal because these environments feel so familiar and so comfortable and like, they just feel like a house. It's bizarre. Like they in the dream, they don't feel surreal at all. Um, and, um, I don't know. I've like, I've had these dreams all my life and, um, I see them reflected like in our, in our built environment and then the kind of the kinds of environments that I grew up in and have kind of permeated my consciousness. And, um, like when I think of like a home, I always think of like the, like the, the tiny cramped, um, basement apartment that I grew up in, um, in New York. Well, I didn't grow up there. Um, we lived there till I was three, but I remember I just have the, the environment made a really big impression on me. Um, but when I think of dream, when I think of my memories, I think of the space, like first and foremost. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always been obsessed with space and just the way it looks and interested in discovering like what the meaning of something like a corner is or like a staircase is. Um, and I mentioned waiting rooms, waiting rooms are incredibly like odd to me, especially like in hospitals because they have like, they all sort of look the same. Like they have this, they're these, they're this calm. It's like this incredibly calm environment that they designed uh, for people who are in a state of tension because they, they either, they're going to find out somebody they know is sick or they, they might find out they're sick. Um, but um, oh, what was I going to say? I was saying something about waiting rooms. <laughs> um but yeah like all these um institutional environments have like the same kind of design like this design that's meant to like pacify people um and i just i find that interesting like the choice of colors and the choice of furniture and i have a lot of memories of just like being in hospitals and waiting to find out whether somebody is sick or something and having my emotions and like my fear and tension be placed in contrast to like this completely banal, like indifferent environment. And that's what I remember, like just the indifference of space and 
yeah, it's it's just really interesting to me. But yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. Um, and it's like a mystery that I haven't gotten to the center of. And I guess I just want to keep keep going with it. I keep investigating that mystery. Yeah, I like the relationship of spaces, like your personal relationship you have with spaces. You mentioned your you're growing up in a certain type of space and then your relationship with hospital rooms. And that's why, or like, you know, medical environments. And that's why these are important to you. What are some of the um, things that you hope, if you care, hope that people get out of what they see through your, um, the imagery? Like so far, the, the work that I've seen you make has a very, like when you mentioned that haunted house or that dreamlike feeling, I get a lot of, now that you've said that, especially I, I, I see that a lot in your work. Like, what do you hope that other people will see when they see your work? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, um, I'm trying to keep my answers concise. Um, That's fine. <laughs> Cause I can ramble, <laughs> but I guess what I want them to see is like, I, I guess I want them to see the way I see space or to maybe take notice of it. Like for me, like architecture can be so pathetic and sublime at the same time. Like it's so goofy and at the same time, like really creepy and surreal. Uncanny is, is the word that I like. Um, but I guess what I want them to see is I think we're so often used to interpreting our environment and interpreting everything around us through like this logical filter and we look at it through like the lens of politics and sociology. We can't help but like analyze things on a logical and rational from like a logical and rational perspective. Um, and I, I think what I want people to see is that there's a level of irrationality and illogic to our normal experience that goes just unregarded. And I think it's a perspective that needs to be it needs to be acknowledged. Um, like one thing that fascinates me is like the idea that so many people like still, you know, may shop at Walmart and, you know, go to malls and buy cheap things. And even though like everybody tells you like uh, that, you know, they might be immoral or they might be, they might be wasteful or that these things affect have a negative impact on the environment and on our lives and they make us unhealthy and they make the world a worse place and yet that these things like still hang around and it's not just because people are like are i don't think it's just because people like want to make bad decisions i think it's just because for many people for me especially like these things are just like what are they're just what our lives look like and for i i feel like a, especially as a consumer like we make so many choices that have no moral dimension to it we're just we just make these decisions and we don't think about it um and and it's so difficult to like bring like a level of a moral decision to everything you do in your life you just you can't live that way like you can't live like constantly paranoid that every decision you make is having a negative impact on the world yeah i don't know okay i'm rambling but... no it's fine it's a, i mean obviously we I, we could probably um, dissect all those concepts and and think about uh, why that is. I a lot of what you just brought up are things that I think about too. And uh, the thing that 
I keep I kept coming back to in my mind as you said that is, you know, I think like the apathy of being a Western, you know, society of ideas is like, especially in our society, there's this like, it's a it's a me first society. So it's we're not th- yeah. we're not thinking about how our actions affect the rest of the, our society and the world. So mm-hmm. they just people just need to get what they need to do and oh, Walmart's the place that I can get the thing and just, I'm going to do the thing. And I mean, sometimes they're aware of it and sometimes they just, it's not even a conscious, even inkling of like an idea that there's a greater kind of kind of sphere around this whole concept of whether or not you buy at a store and how much you're buying and all this kind of stuff. It's an interesting. Yeah. But like people, I mean, we're all like such a, microcosm within ourselves like people are so myopic we can only see things from our own perspective at all times yeah um uh and yeah i guess that that um i think it's good to be aware of the world around you but i think ultimately like people are just they're very self-interested i just like and mm-hmm. uh-huh well i just like the idea and, <laughs> no go ahead go ahead sorry we're, we're doing the thing the back and forth yeah. i'd like the idea what you just said is the everybody's can only see from their own perspective, which is so true is so true. Yet I just try to put the kind of thought out there that at least attempting, no one can ever see any. See, this is where I get caught with that whole idea. No one can ever see anything from any other perspective other than their own. So once you realize that, once you, you try to just, empathize with other people that's the key it's like you're never going to understand everybody perfectly but if you try to have a little empathy and that's where i get caught because i don't think anybody i think the vast majority of people that are in the world don't even attempt a degree of empathy yet and then i would say a good majority of the people that do don't understand what empathy means so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah no i i totally agree with that um, I think it's just like li- everyday life. Like it- it's great to have like instances of empathy throughout your life, you know, moments where you reach out to people and you're not a selfish person, but everyday life is just so banal. I feel <laughs> and meaningless. Like part of it is because of that, because of how like closed in we are in ourselves. Like we're locked into ourselves at all times. And, um, so we, we have a, everybody like has such a very incredibly limited perspective on the world, which is why we don't see the effects of our choices on the world. Like I would love to be like, I mean, and I do, I try to be like as uh, conscious of like my environment as I can, but when I waste water, I don't really see the immediate ramifications of it. I don't see the effects. It's all cumulative. And I think it's very difficult to constantly think about like those abstractions in the course of like your everyday, boring, normal life. Mm -hmm. And I think we as artists, like our jobs, I guess, is to like think about those abstract concepts all the time. But even we have like normal, boring lives where we're just like, we'll sit down in front of the TV and like kill our brains with like crappy television and like garbage food. Yeah, (laughs) Like we're only human. That idea of um, the abstraction is, kind of for me exactly what the difficulty with this pandemic situation we're in is you know just in the relating it to the idea of wearing a mask 
you know, a lot of people that I see think wearing a mask means they're protecting themselves when it's actually wearing a mask is you're protecting your neighbor. So it's like you're you're trying to um, think about those ideas, like how our actions, again, affect the world around us. And it's since it's not like, oh, I'm just protecting myself since it's about the community it's about the the big it's hard for us as a society to really wrap our heads around it because it means you're thinking about something exterior to yourself first yeah yeah definitely i mean i can i wish everybody could like see the value of like following this protocol all the time and like i wear my mask constantly i mean i have like my i i too also have like my my blind spots like there have been occasions where i've like failed to follow like the six foot distance at all times because <laughs> sometimes it's just hard people like get somebody who doesn't care will get too close to you and you don't want to like be a jerk <laughs> 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 like a little kid or something like that who is like just like messing around or jumping around like at the subway the other day like there were like these kids just like jumping all over the place and not following the rules at all but like nobody wants to tell them to like you know mm -hmm. stay back they're like kids um but yeah like what's scary is like um there's like a lot of, there there are a lot of people who are happy to like follow this protocol but how many people are especially as like this as we all get used to the situation and it, and it and the situation just grows longer and longer people are getting impatient you know mm -hmm. they're starting to lose like their patience with all this crap and like and you can already see the results like with these protests like Oh my God, like what is wrong with these people? <laughs> yeah, I personally uh, don't, that the protest thing is heavily political, uh, obviously. Yeah. And it's, I just don't understand why people, the, the value of life isn't as in, seemingly important to a bunch of people. So I don't know what, it's weird. It's a weird kind of idea. Yeah, it is super weird. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what's happening, but that's like the first like scary sign. Like people, I mean, how are you going to protest a disease? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to bring us back into the um, kind of the your grad school experience a little bit and the art you're making. The the just basically, I just wanted to find out why you decided to go to grad school. Like, what was that thought process for you, and what why why did you decide it to go? Oh yeah. Um, well, after like, after I got my bachelor's, I've just, I, I didn't, you know, there's like a really big gap of time between my bachelor's and my master's degree. I just spent that entire time just like kind of pretty lost really just wor working random jobs, um, working at grocery stores. And I think I worked at like a, um, like this, uh, medical device factory or something. Yeah. It was something like that. Um, but just a long time, just like working and not really getting nowhere, not really getting anywhere and trying to in my free time paint and not really understanding, like ha not having much of a grasp of what I was doing, but having like that tiny seed of an idea in there that I, I, I kept trying to work on, but I just didn't have enough time to really dedicate myself. And at a certain point, like I felt like I really did have a concept, like it, something clicked. And I knew that I actually had an idea now that I wanted to work on that if I did spend a couple of years really dedicating myself, um, dedicating myself to it, it wouldn't be a waste of time. 
you know, so I made the decision to get into grad school um, just for the opportunity to uh, to work on these ideas and to become a better artist. Did you, and you're doing the MFA, right? Uh-huh. And was there a decision, like with San Diego State, they have the two options, the MA versus the MFA. Was there some decision-making around that what, to do three or two years? Um, well, I just think a three-year program is is better. It's better to have like a little more time. Two years is just such a short amount of time. I can't imagine what I would have figured out in two years. And I think a lot of MFA programs are structured around two years, right? Yeah, I don't even, yeah. I personally yep. don't know. This is like my only real experience. And for me, I was like, okay. the longer, the better. I was like, I just really wanted to feel like I could sink my teeth into the, the whole concept in two mm -hmm. years. Just, I don't know. I mean, just goes by so fast. So yeah. Yeah. And in a year, like I've, I barely figured out anything in a year. I feel like everything I figured out has like been in like the last year within the last two semesters. Like it finally like, all clicked into place. Um, but I also knew that like uh, I chose the three-year program because uh, I didn't really know that much about what I was doing. Like when I first got into, into this program, I think a lot of people do get into an MFA knowing exactly what they're doing and understanding all their references and everything that everything about their art. But uh, when I came in, like I was still, I still had a lot of questions. Um, what I had was like a really good idea, but I hadn't really figured it out yet. So I needed that time. Yeah. It sounds like we're on a similar path, but I don't even have the good idea yet. I'm just like, okay, this, <laughs> I think this is what I want to be doing. I don't know. I, I don't want to make this about my, about me, but, but um, yeah, so we'll have that podcast another time. But so yeah, I'll, that's I'll, cool. I'll have to, I'll have to ask you more about um, that process for you, which I want to do now as well is, um, why is San Diego State? Um, well, San Diego is basically my hometown. I've lived here my whole life. Um, uh, why else? Um, I guess I like the schools like crafts and fine art like focus. Like I, I, I didn't want to go to an overly conceptual school. Um, I wanted a school that would actually teach me, you know, some some technical skills. Mm -hmm. And so while I, you know, um, while I've been studying here, I've learned a lot about ceramics, which I've really enjoyed. And I've had people um, help me with that. And I, I learned a bit about woodworking, but uh, yeah, those woodworking is probably not really my, <laughs> it's not my area of expertise, but I, I like now that I can like, I know how to use a table saw. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted a place where I can go to like learn about other mediums and like bring those into my practice. And since I'm a pretty like traditional, on 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 one level, I'm a very traditional like representational painter. I wanted a school that would kind of meet me halfway, and I feel like yeah, SDSU was a pretty good environment for the, for that. Um, I thought of other going to other schools, but um, I don't know. I I've never been like very like. I've never been overly conceptual. I feel like a lot of programs and a lot of artists like put concept before the art and they put the cart before the horse. And I like to approaching it from the other, uh, I like approaching it from the other end. I like to do stuff. I like to make art and make my paintings first and then figure it out afterwards. Um, yeah. I prefer working that way than the other way. 
when you applied to school and you got in, so you're at the end of your three-year journey, is there anything like, I guess the, the question is, what was the best part of the experience in a way? Or what what was something that happened during this journey that you didn't expect that you're like, oh, awesome? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that. I mean, I guess I didn't expect to um, enjoy ceramics so much. Like, I'm, I'm really happy that I discovered that. I, I didn't make ceramics, like, an official part of my thesis, but I really, I had a lot of plans that just kind of fell apart. Um, but yeah, I, I've really enjoyed like making, working in clay. So I really like that. Um, what else? Did you start to bring some of your watercolor ideas into your ceramic making, like with glazing or the, what you're doing on the surface or was there, it, was it separate? Um, yeah, there's a lot of, in terms of how I was, uh, how I started like developing a voice or whatever, quote unquote, in ceramics, um, uh, I brought a lot of the stuff that I was doing in my watercolors to ceramics. And then I actually like ended up bringing stuff that I learned in ceramics to my watercolors. Like I, I did not know how to like airbrush or like do any of that stuff before I worked, started working with ceramics. Um, but there's also a lot specific about the medium that I couldn't, you know, uh, bring over from my painting practice. And so I had to learn the specifics of that medium. And I don't know all the specifics yet, but I developed kind of like a, an interesting voice, like in that medium that is totally separate from like my, my work and as a painter. Um, I think conceptually it explores similar uh, territory, but it's, totally different like it's not really about architecture but it's about kind of like the um it's uh exploring like similar aesthetic ideas i think um but i i guess another thing that um i've discovered about myself while in this program is that i'm a really really shy introverted person i've always always been that way and i've always struggled with social anxiety and um and uh yeah just yeah i'm a really really introverted person and i've always had like a lot of fear of like speaking up and and i still have i still have that fear like it's scary it's so scary for me to like talk about myself and talk about my art but i've discovered here that i am like capable of like talking about my art like i'm i can articulate my concepts whereas before i couldn't and I, yeah, I am like capable of like talking and having like conversations about it. Um, Is there something that you can pinpoint as like a turning point in that, or was it a slow evolution into feeling more confident? Um, well, I think it was a slow evolution, like uh, the, the focus on studio visits and critiques. Um, yeah, like, like I didn't want to, I don't want to mischaracterize our program. Like our program is highly conceptual. Um, but what I've enjoyed about it is that, you know, the, the crafts aspect too. Like I love that mixture. Um, but uh, yeah, um, just through the course of like doing studio visits and doing like these intense critiques, like I've slowly like opened up and developed my vocabulary. Um, 
but maybe a turning point was when I did, uh, I, uh, I won like that scholarship to have a show at the Athenaeum and we had to give like a 10 minute talk. Um, so I was forced into a situation where I had to like do a presentation in front of a, in front of a, a group of people and like really articulate my thoughts and like what exactly my art and what I was doing was about and it was a really scary experience but i got through it <laughs> did you have any um, tools to get yourself through it like as a performer so i've been on stage a lot and you hear things like imagine the crowd naked and just whatever different things like that was, were you given any tips or did you have <laughs> have anything that helped uh, you? you know like well not really like we were like just whipped into shape for it <laughs> <laughs> but um I mean, what helps for me, and this is going to sound weird, but what helps for me to like talk about my work and whenever I need to like uh, talk about my work or like talk in front of an audience or give a presentation, it's to just like not give an F, you know, Yeah. like just who, who cares? I just put myself in that state of mind <laughs> and just like, like, and just ramble about my, and people like, I people end up appreciating like what you have to say anyway, as long as you just say it, which I, I really, I've been, has been a, a huge, like um, has been hugely refreshing and really surprising. Like the idea that people might value, like what I have to say. Um, yeah. I mean, part of what's made me like such an, I has made me like such an introvert, like my entire life is just this concept that I have in myself that people don't value what I, what I have to say, like, I've always felt like ignored and like, people don't give a crap about me. <laughs> and that's like shaped, that's really shaped my personality and like, the way I see the world and the way I behave. And it's been a really, it's been a pleasure to just like open myself up to people and like open myself up to a community. I mean, I don't feel that I'm not all the way there. Like I'm not an extrovert by any means, <laughs> but it's been nice to like make, it's been nice to like make genuine connections and make real friends. And yeah, like now I'm getting like kind of choked up and mushy. Like, but, <laughs> that was um, all good. Yeah. No, I relate completely with those, but those, both those concepts of like that kind of not giving a fuck idea of when you're presenting. Um, I relate in a way of like, as a performer, someone that's performed on stage a lot. What I realized the way that I perform is usually it's all original music. It's all stuff that I do myself. So it's kind of like I make the rules of it. So it's kind of like that idea of of not giving. I don't care what anybody else thinks because this is my music. This is my ideas. This is my thoughts. And it gives me permission just to do it the way that kind of I want to do. So I take that concept and kind of apply it to everyday life in a way. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. just remind myself that this moment I can be on stage if, if and it helps bring me down. It helps bring me to a place that I can kind of like kind of, I don't know, regulate a little bit better and then the, yeah in the concept of uh that self-worth or <clears throat> people not caring it's like i'm dyslexic and so through my whole life i've had this kind of feeling like i'm not as good as the people around me because i can't read as fast or i can't spell good or i can't do things so it's kind of like i i see a connection with those those kind of topics that you brought up for sure yeah yeah but for me a lot of my self-worth has always come out of like my artistic talent like um that's what i've loved doing my whole life like i've been drawing basically my entire life and it's like the thing that gives me makes my life feel valuable and makes me feel valuable 
you know. Um, I've always felt pretty gen, like non-gender conforming, like as a dude too. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like into sports, and I'm not like into all those things that like people tell you are masculine. And so it's it's difficult to develop like a sense of like self worth like as a guy if you're not good at those like those, those things. Um. So yeah, but it's it's been great to like discover that you know who I am is it's I'm fine being myself I'm fine being who I am what was and it sounds like maybe you this could have been part of it but um the the what'd you call it the anthem is that the name of the what was the name of the award oh sorry uh the Athenaeum in La Jolla Athenaeum but the question is uh what was the most challenging part of your graduate school career uh, maybe it was partly that kind of growing into your confidence, but also like, it could be something like, you know, a practical thing, like being able to afford rent while you're in it, or it could be something about the school structure that you're like, Oh, I wish there was something, this was a part of it. Or so what was the, um, kind of most challenging kind of aspect of the three years of being a graduate student? Mm. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I think like, I mean, one of the most challenging aspects has been just like navigating administration and, and yeah, navigating all the, like these rules that you have to learn about like, you know, uh, um, like being a, just being a grad student. Like there's a lot of stuff that they just don't tell you and you have to like find out through word of mouth or through the grapevine. And that's really, really, it's been really frustrating sometimes. Um, and you know, it's annoying because it leaves behind some people and, uh, disproportionately benefits others. Like the kind of people who are like more tuned in or like more social always receive this information before the people who are less social. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not fair, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that's been, that's been kind of rough. Um, it's also just like it, dude, like making art is expensive. I don't think like people really realize <laughs> Like how expensive this is like woodworking like oh my god i think i spent like almost like more than a thousand dollars i know on like materials and sometimes like your projects because you're not good at things yet like just end up going nowhere <laughs> and you just spend like what like four hundred dollars worth of wood on like something that is a complete piece of crap <laughs> And whatever I learned from it anyway, I think that's partly why I sort of quit on furniture and woodworking. It's just too expensive. Like, I don't know how, I, I really don't get like how you finance that practice. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. Financing like your career as an artist and, and like your, like your studies as a graduate student in, in art is really, really difficult. Um, and I've had to apply to a lot of, uh scholarships and luckily like i got some but i still had to like pay a lot of stuff out of pocket yeah so the yeah the financial part's a big one for a lot of us mm -hmm. me too i yeah. mean my uh, it relates exactly to what you're saying like i actually took a wood class this semester and that was like on the front of my mind the whole time i was like i don't want to have to pay a lot for supplies for materials and the, the instructor's like giving us like, oh, all our projects are going to be done in, you know, real wood, no plywood, it, like things like that. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh I was hoping that uh, <laughs> something would yeah. be a little cheaper. But it's kind of maybe the silver lining of this whole pandemic is that kind of mm -hmm. got truncated. So 
now we're doing found object kind of hodgepodge things. So yeah, kind of work. At out. the same time, it's it's really it's really just kind of a tragedy that like. Well, I don't want to overstate it, <laughs> but it's a shame <laughs> that we can't. You know, we're not people aren't getting the benefits of like working in our in in like a woodworking studio at least for the moment. That's really that's rough. Yeah. Um, but what else is I going to say? Something about like something about what what's difficult or impractical. Um, I don't remember. I lost. Well, it. if you think Never of mind. it, just feel free to <laughs> drop it back in. I wanted to. This is kind of like a a personal kind of investigation that I'm on. And you just mentioned that you've drawn your whole life has been part of your, your practice as an artist. Do you have any, and as you've seen some of my work, like I'm working on drawings right now, I'm doing drawings and different things. And I'm kind of just, I wanted to see from other artists, their relationship with drawing. And like, if you have any philosophy around it, any thoughts, ideas around drawing, like what's important to you about drawing? Um, just mm -hmm. in your practice in general, if it is, or if it's not, or if you've moved away from it, why, or have you moved away from it? Or like, how, how do you, how do you relate to the idea of drawing? Yeah. Well, I think drawing is incredibly useful as an artist. And, and I think it's useful to, it's useful on a broader level too, just for people to like know how to draw. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like, uh, learning a bunch of like skills to like render something photorealistically. I think that stuff is great too. Um, but just the ability to, for me, drawing is the ability for you to visually, uh, to visually plan out on a piece of paper and using like really basic materials, like a, a pencil or a pen, uh, your ideas, like being able to visually sketch out your ideas is incredibly important. Even if like the sketch is rough, because drawing connects you like it connects to it connects you to your mind it connects you it's like a direct connection like to your like to your imagination and it doesn't have to be like that connection or like the drawing that is that comes out as a result does not have to be refined it's just it's about just like pouring your idea straight onto a paper so that you understand like on a basic level what the idea was and then you can refine it but if you don't have the ability to connect to your ideas to, to the ideas that you have in your head like these concepts that are vague and to like sketch them out on a piece of paper then you're just never going to be able to like you're just not going to be able to come up with like new ideas and you're going to lose a lot of the a lot of the nuances of the ideas that you come up with like on a daily basis like i think it's important to like have a, a daily sketch practice um i think it's very important like during when you're drawing to not filter your ideas and to just like just draw them out um and i think uh um yeah drawing is like the most basic conceptualization skill and i, I think it applies to like a variety of, i think it, i think it could apply to every medium um you know, I think for woodworkers, you know, they, they probably start with a, they start out with a sketch, a ceramicist that need to start out with a sketch whenever you think of like, whenever, whenever you want to think of a new idea. And honestly, like, I, I really love the rough. I, I mean, I can draw photorealistically and I love like those refined like skills, like being able to draw values. And, and I, I, I think all that stuff is incredibly valuable too, because it teaches you how to, 
how to look at the world and how to interpret it, how to like filter it through like, um, how to filter it through technique. Um, uh, and how to like break down like uh, visual information into like the most basic, like into like the, uh, into like the most basic components. So if you understand like how to draw something realistically, how to like draw a portrait of somebody, you understand why that person looks realistic and what may like what what the what allow the like what are the rules that like allow something to appear the way it appears so understanding light and shadow understanding outline and all these things i i think are really important but i also think like the the roughness of like a really basic sketch like those things that just like come out of your subconscious are also incredibly interesting um and so I think it's important to like not over refine what you do. And um, I, I feel like my work can be like very cold and over refined sometimes, but a lot of my ideas came out of like some completely unrefined sketch. Yeah, I like the concept and I haven't really thought of it this way of you'll forget if you don't get it out of your head and onto the paper, you'll potentially forget the idea that you're trying to go for. And I relate it to as a, like a musician and writing down lyrics. I would always, if I ever said to myself, oh, I'll remember, there was no way. Mm -hmm. An hour later, I'm like, what was that line I had? So it's like, I'd never, yeah. I never connected that concept. And I, I think that's a, a great lens to look at this idea through of like, if you have an idea, put it down on paper as soon as you can so that you remember whatever it was, it may change, it probably will change, but at least that initial idea is, is caught captured for a minute yeah 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 i love drawing it's and it's super fun too like um i said that i've been drawing all my life and like i've always wanted to draw comics and i haven't i haven't gone to it yet i draw like little comics on, on my own but like just drawing like superheroes and like characters and um like for a long time i i just i was very tight with my drawings because i wanted to like figure out like how to draw a hand or like I couldn't stop obsessing over like the appearance of a knee or like a fist or something. And like, but it, it, the more you practice, like the more you just kind of loosen up and then like things that were like important before are just become less important because you understand like how the whole mm -hmm. is supposed to appear. Like I was, I used to be so obsessed about like having lines connect to each other. So that like a form was, you know, enclosed. Now it's like not important at all. Like why it doesn't matter if lines overlap or if lines don't fully connect. Like, <laughs> yeah, like little, little like revelations like that are, are, are really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm finding there's a lot of levels of metaphor in a sense of the drawing practice. And like what you just explained is like how you don't have to have everything completed for it to make sense to the eye, like the optical illusion of it and all those things is, is an interesting concept with, drawing as being like a fundamental and like taking that idea and then applying it to the rest of your practice. It's like, okay, in this drawing, I realize that this is the amount of information that's really important. So then how do I transfer mm -hmm. that to the next iteration down the line of like, what is the information that's actually important in, yeah. in creating that idea? Yeah. Drawing helps you understand like what is and isn't important. Like when you're trying to in your artwork and like what you're, what you're attempting to like sketch out, I guess. Like the, I, I feel like our brains and our eyes like fill in so much information that our jobs are really to just like 
it's really just to like give you like like the bare yeah uh, like um just like enough information for like the for the person's imagination to fill it in like there's no need to like sketch in every single thing you know like you don't have to like you don't have to draw every single little hair (laughs) (laughs) i know it's amazing it's pretty amazing we're we're actually coming up again i like to do an hour so we're coming up actually probably past an hour but i have two questions two last questions that i'll use to round off this concept first and they're um kind of related but the first one is i just wanted to get a sense of how your thesis kind of went versus you know expectation versus going through the process versus now being done like how was that process and the second question was is what's next like what do you hope for now that you're kind of on your final last couple days of this whole san diego state kind of thing and you're going into the future so let's start with the thesis like how was um how was that experience for you yeah um my thesis was so good yeah it was great (laughs) i was incredibly scared and nervous and i was sweating bullets beforehand but then like when i did it like it was it was fine like it just clicked together and um yeah uh it was a really valuable experience to like all my all the faculty that came to look at me like and I did not expect like 12 or so people. I, I thought I was just going to be like three, oh, wow. the three members of my committee. <laughs> so I, I got kind of freaked out, but um, they gave me a lot of valuable feedback stuff that I'm I'm really going to have to, like they challenged me on a couple of things that I really have to think about. Um, so yeah, my defense was great. Uh, I really liked it. It was a great experience. Um, what was, I think the... I ended up talking for like, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. What was the essential, um, idea that you were defending uh well we're supposed to defend our art and i feel um i guess let me try to boil it down um i think i i uh i tried to explain that like the main like the main uh question or mystery within my practice is like this idea of representation like, how can you ever, like, fully represent anything? And I'm interested in space and architecture, but I, I realized that I wasn't interested in architecture itself. I was interested in, like, my experience of architecture and my memories of architecture and this concept of architecture and houses and spaces that I have, you know, in my mind. And so how do I – and I wanted to become less literal as an artist. And so how do I – represent something that has no physical form like something like a memory which is so vague and so difficult to define especially like you know we're forgetful we forget little details and we remember other things like stick in the mind and become more important than maybe they were um so yeah representation is a big like issue like um there's always i feel like there's always going to be like a gap between like the thing that you're you're aiming to represent the thing you're aiming to draw and um the final form they like your interpretation you know takes and that gap is to me is like so interesting um like there's so much mystery to it and i'm really interested in exploring that mystery um but yeah like uh just um architecture as it relates to memory and nostalgia and uh in, you know having being able to have like an emotional relationship to something that like i said is can come off as very cold and indifferent to experience 
how was the uh, written part of this whole process? Did you finish your your the written part as well? Uh, my thesis? No. no. no I need to. I'm, I'm still working on that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Like you have to write like twenty pages or so, like trying to articulate everything you do. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have to check back in on that for sure. Um, what is the oh. uh, what is the future hold? What are you hoping to happen now? <clears throat> Uh, oh God, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously I, I need to get a job that's going <laughs> to like support my practice. Um, and man, the future of jobs is not looking good right now. I'd like to teach maybe at some point, uh, but for now, like maybe I can go work at a grocery store or something. Or, <laughs> mm. uh, I'm just looking for work, but um, I just want, I just want to like not lose my momentum, keep painting and maintaining my practice and, uh, I guess, um, if I wanted to, like, uh, if I can imagine like the, the ideal future for myself, it's to just like be a full-time painter and, um, yeah, just have like a studio and be able to practice and paint full-time and be a working artist who like sells their work and, uh, is able to make all their income off of that. That would be that would be just the greatest life. Just painting, work all the time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That would be amazing. Well, Juan, yeah. um, we did it. We, I think we did an excellent job of this podcast. It was really great talking with you. It was like, really, I don't know, you're a great, great guest. So anytime you have something that you want to like talk about in the future, we could do that. Cause I also, we didn't even get to all my questions and I had some more oh, specific to like, your practice and things I've learned about you so far. So I think there's yeah. a potential to talk about this more as time goes on. So you're always, yeah, welcome. totally, man. Uh, like I, I spoke too much. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> perfect podcasting. This was perfect podcasting. So it was awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You're a good host, man. <laughs> oh, thanks. thanks. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, appreciate it. All right. We made it to the end. Thanks for joining again. <sighs> As always, these little ending parts is my chance to kind of just ramble and talk for a minute. <laughs> but that was a super great podcast, wasn't it? I really enjoyed talking with Juan. I think it was a great, as a podcaster, he kept mentioning things like, oh, I ramble on too much. And it's like, no, that's that's what you're supposed to do on podcasts. <laughs> ramble on, it's all good. Um, one thing I did want to mention that I didn't get in at the intro because I was... I just couldn't fit it in. It was, uh, I was, I recorded that intro like so many times <laughs> before I settled on what you heard. But it's just the fact that I am making some masks right now. So I can kind of let this breathe a little bit. But the idea is, I'm, you know, obviously need to figure out how to make money while, while, you know, we're in this, well, period, you know, I need to figure out how to make money, period. But it's especially interesting right now during this pandemic situation. One of my big things is I'm not trying to do uh, any job that puts me out in the world because I live with my mother who's 70 years old. And, you know, I just feel like if I get sick, she gets sick and it just wouldn't be a good idea. So I'm trying to look for ways to make some money just from home. And the one thing I can do is I can make masks. And there's a kind of an ethical... Um, idea around this whole thing as well because you know a lot of people are making masks for donations but i just 
I can't justify affording that at this moment. So I decided to do a pay what you can model. It says I have materials and the ability to make masks and I still have to come up with rent somehow. So if you want to support this podcast and just my ability to survive during the pandemic and you have some uh, a little bit to spare and you want to pay for a mask, um, feel free to do so. There's an eBay. My eBay account is Creator Zim, so you can search that or you can contact me directly and I can send you the, the information or you can just um, order one directly from me. And also in that vein, in that thought is I am totally happy to make someone a mask for free if they need it, if they can't afford it and they just haven't been able to get one of their own or they want one of mine or whatever the reasons are around not being able to afford one. Um, Happy to send one for free. I do want to just uh, cover the cost of shipping it to you, which varies between like three to seven dollars, just depending on method and stuff first class mail priority mail whatever it'll go through the mail all right so i hope that's clear and but yeah anyways if you need a mask and you want to support this whole thing uh let me know cool until next time be loving kind and patient and i'll see you again or i will talk to you again soon peace